Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in the Historico Galley section of Melbourne, Florida. It's also made possible by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Brokemarkle, and coming up on the program, Chad Light is depicting the founder of St. Augustine, Pedro Menendez de Avales, on TV, billboards, Facebook, and at special events and tourist attractions. The assignments that he was given, uh, he did very well. He was outstanding, in fact. And as with any successful man, you're just given more to do which he did. We'll look at changes in the agriculture industry in the 20th century as reflected in the magazine The Florida Grower. It's a uh, magazine that was first published in 1907 is actually still in print. And we'll discuss the work of naturalist William Bartram. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. To Pedro Menendez Marquez, listen to me, nephew. There's one thing that I want you to know. May God see my heart and intentions in Florida. We're listening to a letter written by Pedro Menendez de Avales on September 8, 1574, just nine days before his death. When my mission with the Armada, the subjugation of the heretics in Flanders for the king and for Spain is completed, I have but one desire. After the salvation of my own soul, there is nothing in this world I desire more than to bring myself to Florida and in my days saving souls. Reporting to His Majesty the discontent I bear in being away from Florida, he has done me the grace of telling me that whenever he may grant me license, he will of very good will let me go back to Florida. I hope to God he will do so in the spring, because I have no doubt that this winter the problem of Flanders will be resolved and I will be free to go back to Florida, to never leave Florida as long as I live, because these are my wishes for happiness. If not, I fear that the type of colony I have dreamed of may never materialize. Nevertheless, perhaps the dreams we've had for La Florida will live on in our settlements there to serve as an indelible mark of our endeavors. My legacy. I, Don Pedro Menendez de Aviles, heroic defender of Spain, or tyrant. In 1565, Don Pedro Menendez de Avales well. founded the city of St. Augustine, the oldest Spanish. permanent European Spanish. settlement in what would become the United States. Over the past few years, historic reenactor Chad Light has earned recognition as the modern-day embodiment of the Spanish conquistador. Light appears in television commercials encouraging people to visit St. Augustine by showing Menendez enjoying today the city he founded four and a half centuries ago. Light also portrays Menendez in a one-man theatrical presentation on billboards and Facebook and at special events, including official anniversary celebrations sponsored by the City of St. Augustine. Chad Light can regularly be seen as Menendez at the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park. There are several aspects to Menendez. First of all, he was a sailor. Um, he spent his entire life on the sea, he was drawn from an early age to the irresistible vocation, as he put it. And that's where he made his fortune, and that's where he made his name. He was the younger son of 20 brothers and sisters, and he was only about 
eight or nine years old when his father died. So once the hacienda was split up amongst the heirs, all the children ended up poor, and they had to make their own fortunes by their own diligence and the grace of God. He left home when he was nine years old, was brought back, uh, married to his lifelong wife. But he soon left home again after that, signed on as a ship's boy under a false name, so they couldn't find him this time, and spent the next two years with an armada that was fighting the French pirate fleets. When he returned home, he sold part of what was left of his birthright, which wasn't much, borrowed money, built a small ship, and with family and friends he convinced into it, they became soldiers of fortune. And in the next 20 years was when they made a name for themselves. They became men. And it was then that he was noticed by His Majesty Carlos. And the, the assignments that he was given, uh, he did very well. He was outstanding, in fact. And as with any successful man, you're just given more to do, which he did. Uh, the, the enterprise here in Florida was a bit of a change for him. Uh, he had already been a captain general of the treasure fleet. But the loss of his son Juan compelled him uh, to come to Florida in the hopes that he would be able to find his son. And the being made adelantado was necessary because of his problems with the Casa de Contratación in Sevilla. But he was uh, granted the contract by the king. And that's when the sailor came ashore. Pedro Menendez de Avales became governor of St. Augustine, founding the oldest continuous European settlement in North America in 1565. By the time colonists landed at Jamestown and Plymouth Rock, the people who settled St. Augustine had grandchildren. Menendez and his men vanquished the French from nearby Fort Caroline, securing La Florida for the Spanish. Chad Light has a B.A. in history and a master's degree in psychology, which helped him to prepare to portray Menendez. It's been since uh, the first book by Albert Manusi, but then the work by Dr. Lyons, uh, which is, at this point, the definitive uh, work on the enterprise of Florida and Menendez as a man. Uh, lectures given by Eugene Lyons are available through the St. Augustine Foundation. I relied on those. I relied on his uh, Enterprise of Florida. And it was able, after reading the Enterprise of Florida several times, it was then I was able to appreciate more the works of Solis de Meras, Gonzalo Solis de Meras, his, uh, Pedro Menendez's brother-in-law, and the work of Barrientos. Uh, which together uh, form a very uh, clear, if not complete, picture of the events as they unfolded here in Florida in those, uh, in those very epic years of 65, 66, and 67. Chad Light is a member of the Men of Menendez, which is part of the Florida Historic Militia. The Men of Menendez portray the first settlers of St. Augustine at the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park. That's where we spoke with Chad Light in his Menendez costume, surrounded by both colorful peacocks and the all-white variety. The men of Menendez had a campsite nearby. They've been around for uh, 30 years uh, as an organization, but the individuals have been here, some of them their entire, some of them their entire lives, uh, many of them their entire lives. They represent and portray uh, very realistically uh, the uh, 
civilians and soldiers that were here with Menendez in 1565 and 1566. Um, from September 1565 until May 1566, the first settlement was actually right here on the Fountain of Youth property. And it's been in the last uh, few decades when the excavations have been done here that have slowly borne this out. Dr. Kathleen Deegan has been conducting archaeological excavations on the original site of St. Augustine off and on since 1976, and her work there continues today. Each September, a reenactment of the landing of Pedro Menendez takes place at Mission Nombre de Dios, which is adjacent to the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park. Every year, Menendez is portrayed by Chad Light at that reenactment. There's a small wooden boat, uh, not a rowboat, it's about 20 feet long. Um, it has a mast. We have someone at the tiller, someone is rowing, uh, both in period dress, and then there is myself and my maestro de campo, my field commander, who it was Pedro Menendez's future son-in-law, who was also named Pedro Menendez, but he was Pedro Menendez de Valdez, uh, from a very powerful family in Asturias. We will both be on uh, the boat, they will row up to the shore, and we will get out and step through the mud onto a plank and then onto the yard, at which time there will be a veneration of the cross and the flags, just as Pedro Menendez did when he stepped off that boat. And we know this because of the works by Mendoza de Grajales, uh, who was the priest, and by Menendez's brother-in-law, again, Gonzalo Solis de Meras. The goal of Chad Light and the men of Menendez is to demonstrate what life was like for St. Augustine's earliest European inhabitants. Of the 800 souls that came with Menendez, 600 were soldiers. And so there will be a large soldier contingent, uh, armor, pikes, muskets, arquebus, uh, everyone wearing a sword. Uh, kids always get a kick out of that, especially little boys. But there's also the side of the camp that was the necessary part. Uh, you'll have a large kitchen. Uh, we'll have our dining area. Uh, traditional food will be cooked over open fires in the traditional way. We will have a gentleman there that is teaching people navigation, Quinton, who is himself was a retired sailor. Um, the aspects of life that uh, people see other than the soldiers will all be present. Uh, women will be sewing. Uh, there's uh, beyond the navigation, there's the uh, maps and the explanation of how they live their day-to-day -day life to be able to do the things that they did. We'll all be on display. It's important to recognize the establishment of St. Augustine every year, but 2015 will mark the 450th anniversary of the city. As discussed previously on Florida Frontiers, a commission of federal and state dignitaries has been created to prepare for that milestone. In our adult lifetime, uh, this will only happen to us once. Some of us may see it uh, a 50-year benchmark in our city's birthday, uh, more than once in our lifetime, hopefully so. But for us, it's the only time that it will happen as we are adults and can do something to celebrate it. The responsibility is on us. And for many of us, it is, is a passion. It's a passion for the history, it's a passion for the city, drawn out of a love for the city, but also a love for Florida and Florida history and telling that story to the world. Chad Light portrays Pedro Menendez de Avales, founder of the city of St. Augustine. In 1563, my only son Juan was returning to Spain from Veracruz as commander of the new Spain contingent. I had trained him up from a boy to be captain. 
but he left Havana for Spain in August of that year in contradiction of my explicit prohibition against sailing during that most dangerous season. His fleet, struck by a mighty storm, was scattered far and wide, and its captaina, along with my beloved son, were lost. Some rumors placed the wreck along the east coast of Florida. As would with any father, my hope swelled that he may yet be alive, cast away in the wilderness of that peninsula. And so, that hope persisted in my mind. But as if contrived by the devil, my son's shipwreck coincided with my unjust arrest and imprisonment by the Casa de Contratación in Sevilla. To say that I was grief-stricken and frustrated would be a monumental understatement. After great and frustrating delays by envious, slanderous and inept bureaucrats, I escaped to Valladolid and made my audience with the king. I pled my case with his majesty and he granted me a contract to go to Florida. At last, I could look for my son. I was made adelantado of Florida and from that moment on I would be free from the house of trade in Sevilla, answering only to his majesty. Our adventures in Florida are now well known far and wide. God granted us a swift and total victory over the Lutherans, after which we established seven settlements along the coast of La Florida. San Agustin, San Mateo, San Lucia, Aiz, San Antonio, Tocobaga, and Santa Elena. I made fast allies of all those peoples, all but Satariba, who was clearly still under the spell cast over him by the heretic Lutherans, who he himself fought with. From Tocobaga to Orrista, we made allies with the rest, even the warlike Cacique Carlos. We had returned to us more than 100 castaways, some of whom had been in Florida for more than a decade. But nowhere, nowhere was my one. After searching La Florida for any trace, I had to painfully admit to myself that one may never be found. Even still, my heart breaks. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org to find out about upcoming events, explore our educational resources, listen to archived editions of this program, and much more. Click on the Join Now button to receive our journal, the Florida Historical Quarterly, and our newsletter, the Society Report. That's myfloridahistory.org.
Issues of the magazine The Florida Grower from the early to mid-20th century reflect how the agriculture industry in the state has changed over time. Fendi Biasi is Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa, where a collection of The Florida Grower is held. Yeah, that's right. The, uh, the Florida Grower is exactly what it sounds like. It's a uh, magazine that was first published in 1907. It's actually still in print, uh, and it was geared for uh, farmers, uh, both commercial and subsistence farmers in the state of Florida. And it was a collection of editorial articles and advertisements for farming implements and uh, new farming equipment geared towards uh, Florida, Florida farmers. Now, some of the earliest magazines in this collection are from the World War I era, did the war impact the content of this magazine? Absolutely. In fact, the uh, the earliest edition we have dates from August of, uh, I'm sorry, actually July of 1918. And of course, we know that at this point, the U.S. is uh, involved in the First World War. Uh, we joined in, in 1917. Um, and as a response to that, we see a, a big change in the, in the content of these magazines. Now, like I said before, this is a... Um, uh, a magazine geared towards uh, farmers, talking about new techniques and technologies. Um, but during the First World War, that those uh, techniques and and um, and these technologies uh, changed dramatically because you had a huge loss in the labor force. Um, so in in 1917, the U.S. instituted a draft, and a lot of the um, a lot of the young men who would have been working on Florida farms were now enlisted in the Army, the Navy, uh, the Marines, and so on. Uh, so these farmers had to come up with new ways to uh, still produce. Um, the same amount of, of crop yields, but actually more now because they were helping to provide for these troops overseas. Um, so we start to see more um, advertisements for uh, farm tractors. You know, this is really the beginning of the home uh, farm tractor and the gasoline-powered tractor because prior to that, uh, most farmers in Florida were still using uh, horse-drawn implements and uh, using these very... Um, uh, labor practices that were sort of heavy and, and uh, manpower, and they were starting to get away from that and, uh, and focus more on um, more mechanized practices. Now, after the war, Florida experienced a land boom in the 1920s. Is that reflected in this magazine as well? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, the last issue in 1918 that was published at the end of the war, November of 1918, uh, was a, a celebration issue. The very next year, you start to see um, articles published about um, land sales, and they were actually trying to boost commercial production. So this is when we get into the 1920s, it was a big boom time uh, in Florida, and there were a lot of people coming in after the war and getting involved in, in commercial agricultural practices. So a lot of the advertisements that we see in the 1920s um, deal, uh, deal mostly with, uh, with land sales. In fact, we've got an article here from 1924 that uh, is, is advertising uh, um, acres around uh, Orlando for about $50 an acre. Wow. Now, of course, World War II came along in the 1940s. Uh, that influenced Florida agriculture as well. Yeah, that's right. And, and just like the articles that were published during the First World War, um, it was essentially dominated by um, uh, World War II and war-related articles, so uh, new techniques to get the most yield out of your crops, 
Um, but there are also some really uh, somewhat humorous but, but very interesting articles about uh, the labor force. Now, again, you have a huge number of uh, men who would have been working in the fields uh, being shipped off overseas. Uh, but in these articles, there's one in particular uh, called Women Join the, uh, quote, Field Artillery. And it's got a photograph of these uh, women on, on farm all tractors in a sugarcane field. Uh, and the article goes on and says, Emily, Ruth, girls? Sure, why not? Uh, for Emily and Ruth are tractorettes, in quotation marks. Uh, so they're trying to advertise and, and boost um, involving women in, in some of these uh, agricultural practices. So it's just kind of fascinating to see how um, how the, the editorials uh, changed a little bit over time and um, evolved and, and sort of were adapted for, uh, for wartime use. And again, the, the articles during the Second World War also talk about how to uh, get the most out of your crop and um, also how to get the best prices, which is kind of interesting because a lot of these farmers were afraid that, um, you know, because they were having to produce so much, uh, there would be a... Um, a surplus of a lot of pro of agricultural products like peanuts and citrus and things like that that were big major products that were being exported out of Florida um, uh, so they were talking about best ways to to help manage the the price structure also well when we think about industry in Florida I guess most people think of tourism first but agriculture was really right up there yeah, and that wouldn't be incorrect I mean tourism is still a major industry in Florida but so is agriculture it's really uh, still the the number two industry in Florida and there are thousands of people who are involved in um, different agricultural practices around the state and these magazines are important not only for historians but also for for farmers to kind of look back at the uh, at the history of, of Florida agriculture and some of these practices um, and it's also for interesting and, and important for uh, historians of technology um, and environmental historians as well people in, interested in how the Everglades were drained uh, for example and, and other en environmental issues that are linked with agricultural but, but also affect us today. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Ben. Sure. Thank you. Ben DiBiase is Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Coco. This is Florida Frontiers. Naturalist William Bartram was fascinated with the natural environment of Florida, as historian Dan Murphy tells Robert Casanello from robertcasanello.com. Well, people interested in Florida's history are, are really interested in what Bartram had to say and what he wrote, because he was one of the first European um, observers to actually write in detail a lot of what we would call ethnographic um, information about native peoples and how they lived. He was generally objective, or at least even-handed, in his uh, depictions of natives, which wasn't always the case with a lot of European observers. So what he was writing about was um, 
kind of careful descriptions of the way Native peoples lived, their appearance, um, their interactions with colonists. And historians today uh, still use a lot of this information because it's some of the most valuable firsthand accounts we have of that period. That was Dr. Daniel Murphy from the University of Central Florida. He was talking to me about William Bartram. Bartram lived in the 18th century, and he traveled throughout Florida when it was a colonial possession of the British Empire during the time of the American Revolution. Here, Dr. Murphy tells me about Bartram and his background. Uh, William Bartram was one of the um, first recognized American naturalists, or in today's terms, he was one of the first kind of biological scientists. His father was named John Bartram, and he was uh, famous both in the colonies and in England for his work on collecting different natural specimens, um, especially in North America. So William was kind of following his uh, footsteps. Um, he's, he's best known for his work in the 17, late 1760s and early 1770s, where he traveled throughout the southeast collecting different specimens, but he also made a lot of observations about colonial life and especially Native Americans. Probably no one or no source is more associated with the British period in Florida than Bartram. Historians, anthropologists, and natural history scholars have pored over his work for what they can conclude directly and indirectly from his detailed observations. I asked Dr. Murphy why Bartram's writings on Florida are so important for researchers. Bartram is a great source for, for historians, um, mostly because there aren't a lot of sources like his for the period. Uh, when you're talking about the late 18th century in the southeast, we don't have a lot of European accounts of native peoples or the environment. And Bartram stands out because it's a lengthy account of his travels throughout the southeast. And he also spent a lot of time talking about Native Americans in ways that weren't as stereotypical as a lot of the European writers of the day. So um, it's kind of an ethnographic study he provided, which has many problems in terms of accuracy, but it's still more accurate than most of the accounts um, of the time. The other thing about Bartram is he traveled, you know, I wouldn't say um, in all parts of the southeast, but he definitely traveled down the um, Atlantic coast. And when it comes to Florida, he's one of the only accounts we have, especially from a British observer, in the uh, 18th century, especially uh, uh, up to probably the 1760s, 1770s. Although Bartram might have been a perceptive observer, it would be the writers who followed centuries later that made the most of his work. Dr. Murphy leaves us with some final thoughts about how best to remember Bartram's work. I think what Bartram does is he really fleshes out a lot of the um, environmental knowledge that was, was known at the time. The, the Spanish before Bartram for 200 years accumulated knowledge, but what he did is he really articulated specifics about the flora and fauna of the region. He would talk about, he would actually, he probably offered the most um, accurate geography or in terms of where certain natural characteristics were in relation to um, the geography of Florida, which no one had really done. So in many ways, it's, it's the most detailed account we'd ever had of the, of the region, or um, historians have access to on the region up to that point. So it's not so much that his insights were um, revolutionary, but they were a lot more precise and a lot more detailed than anything available from that time. That was Dr. Daniel Murphy, and I'm Robert Casanello with Florida Frontiers. 
You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Please join us right here again next week. Until then, visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org and like us on Facebook at Florida Historical Society to get our daily post today in Florida history. Have a great week. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in the Historic O'Galley section of Melbourne, Florida. It's also made possible by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach.